You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Hi. Well, good morning. All right. Great to be with you again. Yeah, that's exciting. So we're gearing up right now is a time in our first quarter where we're starting really to press ahead with a lot of our uh, significant ministries uh, commitments and our missions commitments. So um, the Hope Offering funds and fuels all of our, our, our mission efforts. Our, our, uh, we just got a, a couple in our church that are leaving right now. What time is it right now? What time is it? It's 11 right now. Is it 11? So we've got uh, our first missionary couple boarding a plane right now and flying over to Scotland to serve a life in Scotland to plant a church. Isn't that really cool? Let's celebrate that. Um, uh, uh, Caleb and Kelly Bales, wonderful couple in our church. Uh, they've attended our church for years, uh, part of a community group with my wife and I. And uh, they've got some cute little kiddos, and they're going to Scotland to plant a church in uh, North Valley, through the Hope Offering, financially supports them on a monthly basis. Our most significant monthly partnership we have with any missionary uh, to plant a church over in Scotland. It's going to take a lot of hard work. So let's pause just for a moment and pray for them. They're, they're jumping on that plane right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Caleb and Kelly and the call of God on their life to go start a brand new work. We pray for um, them as a couple, their marriage, protect them, encourage them. God, bring divine appointments into their pathway, even on the plane. Uh, Lord, comfort and, and provide for those children um, that they may see their dad and their mom who loves Jesus and wants to make Jesus known. Uh, may it be real to them, Lord, not a mechanical uh, faith, but a real fresh and vibrant opportunity to see what you're going to do in the lives. Multiply their work in Jesus' name. And thank you, Father, for this church in giving to support that work. And everybody said, amen. amen. So the Hope Offering funds that. Uh, we also want to make sure that we're uh, promoting our camps in the upcoming weeks and months. And that takes a lot of financial commitment from our church. And while we did incredible year-end general fund, which I'll share about that with you in a little bit after the message, the hope offering needs to, we need to see that number grow. Uh, my wife and I gave above and beyond our regular tithe and offering to make sure this goes forward. And um, I want to encourage you to consider that if you have not yet ever given to the hope offering, or if you're able to give above and beyond your regular giving, give towards that. It helps fund our, our camp scholarships, our local and global outreach initiatives. It helps uh, fund our missionary endeavors and all of that stuff. So uh, pray, pray for that and consider that. Maybe even today after the service, I uh, want to encourage you to consider that. It's up to January 15th is our special highlight of it. And then um, after that, uh, we won't talk a whole lot about the hope offering but uh, anyway, so I'm excited about what God's going to do in the upcoming days and months ahead. And um, now what I want to do is get your mind ready for the message today. Uh, we're in John chapter uh, 20, or ch chapter 20. No, we're not. We've still got a year and a half before we get there. Um, <laughs> we're in John chapter 10. We're about halfway through, uh, and I'm excited uh, to be teaching through the gospel of John. I think it'll be about a three, three and a half year journey. And I hope it stays fresh. The teaching series in this segment, kicking off in John chapter 10, verse 22, 
is, uh, who is Jesus? And we're going to answer that question. Um, has, ha, have, ha, have you ever asked anybody who Jesus is before? Would you raise your hand? Who is Jesus? Um, not very many of you. Okay. You guys need to be talking about Jesus more. Okay. Seriously. Now think about it. Have you ever asked anybody what they thought about Jesus? Raise your hand. Hopefully. Okay. Lord, we need to work on evangelism. Uh, okay, you guys need to be talking about Jesus more. Uh, that's, that's good for me to know. That's good for me to know. Um, today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at what does Jesus say about himself. And uh, I've got a friend here in the church after last Sunday, Vision Sunday, I preached a message. And one of the key points in the message was we need to increase the evangelistic, that's sharing the good news of Jesus, um, in this church, and the hands just showed it. I mean, we got to be talking about Jesus more. Um, and so I said, my friend came up to me after the service as Pastor Ryan, I'm a pilot. I fly all over the country. Um, I'd love to help you in any way I could. I'm busy, but how could I help? And I said, let me think about it. We went to lunch the next day, and I said, why don't you do this? You fly around all over the country. Just ask people who is Jesus and put it on video, and we'll show the church for like five weeks. That'll be fun. And he said, all right, all right, I'll do it. So I am impressed, just a disclaimer real quick, I am impressed with the amount of people that actually have some knowledge about who Jesus is. From Las Vegas to Dallas, we're going to be showing you all sorts of uh, clips too today. So check out the first one. Who is Jesus? Check this out. So I'm Eric from North Phoenix. And we're asking who people Jesus or asking people who Jesus is. Would you be able to give me an answer? Do you want me to look into the it camera? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Who's Jesus? Uh, just a friend of mine. He's the guy that lived about two thousand years ago. Okay. Uh, started the the Catholic Church. Okay. Uh, he is the first, you know, Christian, if you will, but a, a Jewish person who came back, uh, was resurrected, you know. Uh, from the dead and founded a church upon Peter and now has uh, a large multi-billion people following over 2,000 years of uh, uh, Christians that uh, acclaim to know and believe and trust the direct line to Peter. Okay. So. I claim to know. Okay. All right. That's it. That, that's what I got for you. Okay. That's what he's got. He did pretty good. You can clap. Yeah, at first I saw that, I was like, he looks like a part of the royal family or something. <laughs> like, who, who, who is Eric getting to on the streets? I'm like, this is pretty amazing. Uh, I'm not going to pick apart the guy's answer a whole lot uh, over the next few weeks when I show you video clips. I'm not going to uh, do that because one, I don't want to embarrass any individual that decides to give us a video interview. And then two is... Um, but I do want to point out, there are some parts in all of these interviews that you're going to hear that they're like spot on, you know, and there'll be a parts that, that aren't. And um, I, I, what I want to do is point out the idea, though, that I think what we've done in American culture is we've almost fashioned Jesus to what we want. And my question to you would be is, how, how has Jesus been presented to you and how much of that is culture, how much of that is tradition from your past and, and, and have you really truly evaluated what does the scripture say? What does Jesus say? What do other people within church history say? I think that's so important. Um, I was at a coffee shop just uh, not too long ago at a conference, and I walked out of the restroom, and I saw this picture right here. That's gangsta Jesus right there. 
I was like, wow. I was like, whoa, Jesus got me. Yeah. Uh, you walk out of the restroom, oh, easy. You know, I didn't see it walking in, but I sure saw that walking out. And then I saw this other picture. I thought this was pretty interesting. This, this is Oakley, Razor Jesus, man. Uh, I think in each generation, we kind of form and fashion the Jesus that we most connect with. And even the guy, he said, Jesus is my friend. But that's cool. I mean, Jesus is a friend. He, the Bible says he's a friend to sinners. And, but what I want to do over the next uh, several weeks in this series, Who is Jesus, is try to look at what does the Bible say about who Jesus is? What does Jesus say? What did the apostles say, the disciples say about who Jesus is? So let's jump in. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. It says this, at the time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Um, Jesus, uh, again, is showing up at a feast and a festival in Jerusalem. The one before this was the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, commemorating the deliverance out of Egypt. This one is actually, this is a festival that's kind of like commemorating a reformation, if you will, or a, a rededication because the temple had actually been in history between your Old Testament and your New Testament. There's like 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and something terrible happened to the Jewish faith, to the people that were in the temple. Uh, some pagans moved in and kicked all the believers out and then started desecrating the temple. And then uh, this guy named Judas Maccabeus goes in like a Jewish zealot and purifies the temple, kicks all the bad guys out, and then kind of starts to commemorate this incredible restoration of the temple. And then there's a feast and a festival every year after that to celebrate the goodness of God and the restoration for the Jewish people. And that's the holiday that you probably know your Jewish friends celebrate called Hanukkah. And so Jesus shows up in this time period of, uh, in the first century, but it's a, it's a festival that had been going on for a very long period of time. He shows up at that dedication. It's at, in Jerusalem. He's walking along the colonnade, a huge porch, Solomon's temple. This is, this is like archaic kind of stuff, like historical grounds, I get the privilege to go to uh, Israel later in the spring, and I'm going to walk through some of these old holy sites. And so before we jump too far in and looking at who Jesus is, just realize this is all historical. Jesus makes the pages of human history. Our whole timeline is divided by his birth. This is Jesus. Uh, real people, real places. If you were here for Christmas, I preached a message all about that. Verse 24, let's see what happens. So the Jews uh, gathered around him and said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, then just tell us plainly. Why don't you just say it, Lord? Uh, or maybe you're not the Lord. I mean, there's believers in the crowd, unbelievers in the crowd, skeptics in the crowd. But they want some clarity. Uh, Jesus, uh, this is most likely his last public proclamational ministry engagement before he goes to the cross. They're pressing him. They want to know. And that word that says that they circled around him or it says that they, uh, 
they gathered around him. The actual translation would be they encircled him. Like, they're, they're not doing this because they actually want something good from him. They're trying to find a way to get him crucified. Jesus is every bit of the greatest threat that the Jewish people had ever faced in all their time. There had been other false prophets that had risen up, but none like Jesus. They want him dead. And so they circle around him. They're trying to get him to press him for some information that could get him crucified. Verse 25, Jesus speaks up. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. He starts out with that famous phrase, three words, I told you. Have you ever done that before? You, you kind of missed it and somebody says, I told you. And you feel the sense of guilt or a sense of like, oh yeah, you did tell me. Um, Jesus had told them over and over again. He was the good shepherd, that he is the door of salvation. He is the bread of life. He's told them over and over again exactly who he is. I told you, I told you, I told you but you do not believe. I think there is a principle here for us in that is that if you do not believe in the Lord or your friends don't believe in the Lord or your family, there's unbelief. There's no belief. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them about Jesus. I don't know how many times somebody preached the gospel to me over and 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 over again where I just, I heard them, but it never made sense. Why is that? Because my heart was hardened with unbelief. That's why. So Jesus tells them, I told you, verse 27, he talks about his sheep. That is a metaphor for believers. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Verse 30, famous passage where we'll focus in our time today. I and the father are what? One. What is Jesus doing? What does Jesus say about himself? Who is Jesus? Number one, Jesus is claiming to be God. That's exactly what he's doing when he says that. Uh, the smart people in the room would have gasped and said, oh my goodness, that's enough for us to label him a blasphemer. He's claiming to be God, so let's get him crucified. Even the people that didn't have a lot of smarts could probably put it together. I think he's claiming to be God. In John's uh, gospel, the apostle John, this is one of the nearest and dearest uh, apostles, the followers of Jesus Christ. The mega theme is really believing that Jesus is God. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 31, that you, it was, this is written, he closes out his gospel letter and says, this is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The mega theme of the gospel of John is believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Uh, the Jews themselves said to Jesus, verse 33, if you want to look in your own text there, chapter 10, verse 33, uh, the Jews themselves 
say, you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus was clearly making himself out to be God. Uh, Previously, Jesus had claimed that he was God and saying that he had come down from heaven and that he's the bread of life in John chapter 6. Again, he claimed to be God and saying, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, the famous words, I what? I am. John chapter 8, what's he saying in that? He's saying that the, he is the personal preexistence of Christ before Abraham. He's always existed. Jesus didn't get uh, uh, created at Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus eternally existed and took on human flesh at Bethlehem. The I am statement implies his eternity and consequently his deity. When Jesus says that famous phrase, I and the Father are one, back in verse 30, that last little phrase that he says to them, there's a couple of things happening here. Now, I need you to put on and think clearly with me and walk through this with me. When he says, I and the Father are one, what do you think about? I and the Father are one. It sounds like oneness in the same sense of identity, but it is not identity. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. So let's do a little theological refresher. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the what? The Holy Spirit. That is the Trinity. There is one God, there is three persons, and all are fully God. That is the Trinity. Um, Jesus is not saying, I and the Father are one, we're the same person. No, God the Father and God the Son are different persons, but there is one God. It's not identity that Jesus is referring to in verse 30. Jesus is not the Father. There is three persons in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, what's he talking about? I and the Father are one. He's talking about unity in the essence, in the substance, in the being, that Jesus is fully God uh, as God the Father, yet he is his own person. Hebrews 1.3 says that he's the exact imprint. He's the radiance and the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, by, by his power. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 2.9 says that in him, that is Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus is God. Church history. Let's talk about church history just for a minute. When you look at church history, you've got to start with the very beginning, the very beginning of the church in Pentecost. The church is the first church is planted. The Holy Spirit pours out and then churches start to be planted all throughout the world. And then boom, it's like a wildfire and it starts growing. What did the apostles believe about Jesus? What did they say? How about Peter, James, and John? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. James says in his very beginning letter, if you're to open your, your, your Bible in James chapter one, James is the half brother of Jesus. They share the same mother, but James's brother is Joseph, or James's dad is Joseph. And Jesus is Dad is God the Father. Uh, James says in the beginning of his epistle, imagine that, your, your big brother. James says, a servant of God, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, says that Jesus is his Lord. What did the apostles say? John uh, says in the very beginning of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. John is affirming Jesus is God. What about the Apostle Paul? 
later. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. Well, what about church history? In fact, when you think back, how many of you come out of uh, backgrounds where you would maybe stand up? It could be Catholic, Episcopalian, Methodist, uh, Presbyterian, uh, where it's a little bit higher structure of church and you would recite creeds. Would you raise your hand for me? The creeds have a very valuable role. Just so you know, the creeds and the councils were formed for two reasons. Number one, to preserve truth. Everybody say that together. Preserve, preserve truth. Number two, to proclaim truth. Proclaim truth. And so the Nicene Creed was all formulated and founded for the idea for preservation of historical truths. About what? About Jesus claiming to be God. Jesus is God. Uh, in 100 to 325 AD, this is the ancient early church. They were fighting new things that, uh, that, uh, that they hadn't seen before in some regard. It's known as the Nicene Creed. It was formed in an effort to unify the Roman Empire. It was formulated to resolve church conflicts related to the Arian controversy. It was the first time in Christian history ever a Roman emperor isn't going to persecute them, outlaw them, kill them for being believers, but rather help them to preserve and to promote truth. And his name is Constantine. And he comes into play and he says, hey, let's get the bishop from the east side and the west side. Let's bring them all together. Let's get all the bishops, all the church leaders, and let's formulate who is Jesus. Constantine, thank you very much. That was very helpful for us. Did he have ulterior motives? Probably. It's a lot easier to run an empire if you got kind of one gigantic overarching uh, worldview. So uh, what are they combating? They're combating what's called Arianism. It's the idea that um, Jesus can't really be God. Because in Arianism, this was the, the uh, false truth that was circulating around in the ancient church was that Jesus isn't really God because there's only one God, and his name is God the Father, so Jesus isn't that guy. Are there, so then you get, Constantine says, no, we need to clarify there is one God, and so he forms uh, with these bishops the creed, and I'll read it to you. Some of you know it probably by heart, but we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus the anointed and the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Amen? That is historical truth. It is so important as a believer to realize your faith is not brand new. If it's new, it's not good. It's, it's not true. Um, the Christian faith is vintage. It is historic. Um, new branches that have broken off and our new uh, flashy uh, uh, cultish groups that fall under the Aryan controversy would be Unitarians and Jehovah's Witness. They do, not, they do, they do the same thing that Arius did in the first century of breaking down the Trinity. How can you spot a cultish group 
I'm gonna, I just wrote these notes this morning just to, to uh, uh, warn you so that if you have a friend that's getting involved in some cultish group, here's three things that you might look out for. Number one, they tamper with the Trinity. They're tampering with the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They take one of them out, and usually they try to take out Jesus first. That's number one. Number two, I'd say they scrap Scripture. They're going to scrap Scripture. They're going to mess with Scripture somehow, twist it, or tell you, I got a new revelation, and we have a new total, total revised Bible with all sorts of stuff in it that's completely contradictory to the rest of the Scripture, but, uh, you know, it's good. Number two, they scrap scripture. And number three, they, there's a lone leader. There's a leader that almost supersedes all other revelation. Um, so Jesus is claiming to be God and Jesus is God. So what? What about for you and me? You're like, okay, I, I can answer the question, who is Jesus? He's my Lord and Savior. Well, if Jesus is God, then guess what? Then you need to worship him. In the interviews that we did on the street, I would say the so far what I've seen is like people are getting the gist of it. They might get a 75%. They get a passing grade. But my question would be is, if Jesus is God for you, do you live like that? Do you live like he is absolutely worshiped in your life? Is worship the totality of attendance on Sunday? Is worship the giving? Is it, what, what is it? Worship is everything. That Jesus becomes the supreme object of your affection, your desires. He's the controller of the world. He's the one that we submit to. Amen? So maybe just for a moment, if Jesus is truly God, might we just maybe rededicate in our minds, in our hearts, Lord, you are my God. You are my Lord. I will worship you. I will follow you all the days of my life. Amen? You don't have to be God. You can't be God. Jesus is God. That's number one. Number two, Jesus gives eternal life. Verse 28 in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. The only life that's worth truly living is a life with Jesus. You can go to the greatest heights and the adventures, explore the mountains, the rivers, the canyons, uh, the beaches, and you'll go there and you will find joy and satisfaction at some level. But in the midst of it, I think there'll be an emptiness in your heart. You can have the perfect family, the greatest relationship with a, a man or a woman. You can have children. You can have that and you will find satisfaction at some level. But at the end of it, when you're looking at the picture on your refrigerator or the picture on the wall, there's going to be a subtle sting of emptiness unless Jesus is at the center of your heart. There is no truest satisfaction in your life apart from a life with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I give eternal life. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Amen? So in your pursuits for pleasure, it's okay. 
build the family, build the career, go explore, go adventure, and know that it's satisfying, but it's not at the deepest level of satisfaction. There's always something more. And what can happen, I think, when we get to a spot to go, I'm not as satisfied as I am. The joy that you need is in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm giving my joy to them. I want my full joy to be with believers. So Jesus says that he gives eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. It's not something you earn. He gives it. God gave you a second chance. All of you, the Bible tells us you're spiritually dead, lost in your sins, and then God shows up. And the Bible describes eternal life as a gift. It's not something you earn. You don't earn your stripes through church attendance, through giving, through serving. You, you, you have eternal life because God gave it to you. Because God loves you. Before the foundations of the world, your name was actually written in the book of life. Then you confess Jesus as Lord one day and realize, holy smokes, I, I thought this was all me. And you realize, no, God's been planning this all along. You ought to feel special. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. It's a gift. The Apostle Paul calls it the gift of God in Ephesians 2. And, and then to, to the church in Rome, he calls it, again, the gift of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You got a gift, ladies and gentlemen. You got a gift, mom and dad. You got a gift, husband and wife. You got a gift, kids. You got life. Some of you feel old. How many of you feel old? Be honest with me. Guess what? You're not old. When you hit a million, then I'll tell you you're old. You don't expire. Your soul lives forever. Jesus gives you eternal life. I'll catch up with you if you transition from this world to the next before me. I'll catch up with you. You live forever. You're not like a carton of milk that sits in the fridge. You better drink it. You don't expire. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You live forever. When Jesus says eternal life, he doesn't mean, well, I mean eternal life just for a little bit. No, he doesn't mean that. He means forever. You don't expire. It lasts forever. Jesus said those who have eternal life will never perish. You don't perish. You don't perish. Eternal life means eternal security too. I, I love this. Look back in your Bible, verse 28 and 29. Jesus is, this is secure security for you as a believer. You don't lose your eternal life. It's, God's got a hold of you. You can't shake loose. Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. That sounds pretty tough. That kind of sounds like gangster Jesus. <laughs> No one's going to snatch them out of my hand. But then look what it says in verse 29. This is pretty amazing. No one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What does that mean? That means you got two parts of the Trinity holding on to you. That means you got God the Father and God the Son holding on to you. I don't know if you're a mom or dad, but I remember um, my, my dad... And me, 
from time to time would take my kids on a walk. And when the kids were little, they would say, you know, hold my hand. Now they don't want to hold your hand when they're older as much. You know, and it's like I try to hold their hand across the parking lot. Eh, don't hold my hand. But when they're little, they're like, daddy, daddy, hold my hand. Grandpa, grandpa, hold my hand. I can remember multiple times holding my kid's hand with my dad and they would say, swing me. And you, you, you're holding their hand and, you know, the dad and me, uh, we would swing my boy or we would swing my little girl. And they would say, higher. And you're like, I don't want to go too high. What if I drop you? But we hold on. The father and the son have got a hold of you. And they're not going to slip. They're not letting go. Eternal life is eternal security. You don't slip out of their hands. Some of you feel backslidden. Some of you feel like you've gone too far. They've got you. Two-thirds of the Trinity has got you. The Holy Spirit, He's just helping you all the way through. The whole Trinity is involved in your salvation. You're going to get to heaven, and you're going to fall down and worship the Lord and say, thank you, Lord. God has got you, my friends. He's got you. Jesus says, no one's going to snatch them out of my hand. And then he says, no one's going to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's a great news, is it not? So what else can we look at? Well, let me just pause for a minute and just get back to this point right here. What does this mean? Jesus gives eternal life. So what? It means that you don't have to try to find life in something else. That please do not try to find the greatest enjoyment and success peace and happiness in anything else other than Jesus. And when you do and you're discouraged and you're in despair, say, Lord, I should have known that new car will not give me the, the, the life that I want. That new relationship will not give me the life that I want. This new house will not give me the life that I want. Although all those things are wonderful, Jesus gives life. This is why when we go to Mexico and the kids that are dirt poor have all the joy in the world, they don't need anything, they've got love, and if they've got Jesus, then they've got everything. Amen? That sounds good. It does. But it is hard for us to do, right? Because we're like, well, I'd be a little happier with that truck. I'd be a little happier with that 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 house or that experience or that vacation. And the truth is, is I pray that the Lord would create in you a holy discontent for things that are trying to compete with your love and affection for the Lord. And please don't hear me. I'm not asking for a, a version of Christianity to seek asceticism or like monastic life. I'm not asking for that. I don't think that is the 21st century church. And I don't think it's North Phoenix. And I don't think it's you. But I do think that if, when, if I don't warn you about placing your hope and joys in things or other people then you're going to be very disappointed and very, very upset. 
and longing and looking for the next adventure and never going to find it. And you can find it in a relationship with Christ. So go to the mountain, go to the beach and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for creating this beach. When you have the car, thank you, Lord, that you've made a way for this to happen This is you. I praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this relationship. Thank you for bringing this person into my life. Thank you, Lord. But what happens when you lose the relationship? What happens when you lose the car? Is God still good? God is still good. But if your joy and contentment is found in the thing, it's going to go away. And then you're not going to have the peace that you need. Amen? All right, number three. Uh, Jesus' works are a witness to his deity. Um, I think this is probably one of the most impressive uh, phrases from Jesus because, uh, you know, he's made some statements um, about and, uh, himself, and that's important, but anybody can talk about themselves, right? Uh, I'm the biggest, I'm the best, I'm this, I'm that. You're like, okay, 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 but show me, show me. Um, I think it was it Missouri. It's the show me state. Is that right? So, you know, it's like uh, the license plate for Jesus is I'll show you. I've already showed you. Watch this. Uh, verse 25. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness about me. In other words, the miracles that Jesus have done, they say the message. In other words, um, my behavior demonstrate my belief. In other words, my works are my witness. My activity determine and clarify my identity. Are you with me? So what he's done proves who he is. Jesus said, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. That word witness is martero. It is the, uh, the word that we use for martyr, a Christian martyr. It means to bear witness or to testify. And over a third of the time when that word is used in the New Testament, guess which gospel it lands in? The gospel of John. Over and over and over again, at least eight figures uh, bear witness to the truth about him. In the Gospel of John, John the Baptist talked about bearing witness about the Lord. God the Father bears witness. The Scripture bears witness. The words and the works of Jesus bear witness. The crowds bear witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. The disciples bear witness. Uh, John the Evangelist uh, bears witness over and over and over again. Let me give you just a few specific examples. You remember Nicodemus when we were uh, learning in John chapter 3? He's the Jewish scholar. Do you guys remember me talking about Nicodemus and teaching you about Nicodemus? He's this Jewish scholar who's really seeking and exploring uh, if Jesus is the Messiah. And so he arranges for some kind of meeting at night, um, not in daytime, probably because he's a little afraid because if he gets caught meeting with Jesus... And Jesus is already looking like he's acting like the Messiah. He's already doing some stuff. So to meet with Jesus could be very, very controversial. So he doesn't want to jeopardize that. So he meets with Jesus on a rooftop. And then this is what Nicodemus says to Jesus, Rabbi, 
We know that you're a teacher and come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. In other words, Nicodemus is saying the works that you're doing, the miracles that you're doing, the works testify to your witness of who you are. The miracles that you're performing testify to the message that you are God. Or you think about the blind man. Remember, we went through that in John chapter 9. The blind man who was healed, uh, uh, he, the, the Pharisees and the scribes start to interview him and say, who healed you? What happened? Who healed you? Were you blind before? Or did you, have, you been, have you been able to see before? They're asking all these questions. And this blind guy who was healed, he says, now, uh, all I know is I was once blind, but now I see. And then he responds in John chapter 9, 22, 32 through 33. He says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. He's referring to himself. This, if this man, Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. The works testify to who he is, to his deity. The scribes and the Pharisees say that too in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus heals a paralytic man and Jesus tells the guy his sins are forgiven. I mean, what if somebody comes up to you and says, your sin, all your sins are forgiven? You're like, who are you? Who has the authority to forgive sins? This is what the scribes and Pharisees said. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone. Here's my point for you is uh, Jesus is at work in your life. I know he is. I see it. Those of you that I know pretty well, I can see the work of God in your life. I've seen people's lives transform here through this church, and it's the power of Christ. If this is true, Jesus' works are a witness to his deity. Think about it like this. Jesus' work in your life are a witness to Jesus being God. Only God can change Ryan Rice's life. I was the black sheep that shouldn't have, shouldn't have come to faith in Christ. I was the last person my friends would have thought would have come to know Jesus Christ. Jesus' work in your life is perhaps the greatest witness that you have to that Jesus is Lord. You need to tell somebody. You need to tell people about the work that God's doing in your life personally. How he's helping you overcome that addiction. You need to tell somebody about how Jesus is working in your life and giving you hope and healing through a, an adulterous relationship or a broken relationship. Tell them how Jesus Christ is impacting your life. You need to tell somebody about how Jesus Christ has given you a new hope that you didn't have before. You need to tell them about the work that God is doing in restoring your family. And that shows the power of God. Amen? So think about the work of God in your life and how he's working in your life, how he's provided for your life, how he's done something miraculous in your life. And let that be the witness that people need to see. Oh, I do pray that in the upcoming years ahead, that this church would transition. And when I ask the question, how many of you have ever uh, shared with somebody who is Jesus? A hundred percent of you would say, I've been asking. Oh. Watch this one last interview. This is a guy from Dallas, Texas. 
and uh, he got he he nails it. Watch this. So who is Jesus to you? Uh, I guess it depends on the context. I hate to blow your life. I know these are supposed to be short, right? Yeah, no. Supposed to be short. Whatever. Like, um, like genealogy, you know, the son of Mary and Joseph. But okay. to me personally, yeah. the, uh, my Lord and Savior, I guess you want, if, if that's what you, uh, like, who is he personally to me? Do I believe in the Son of God? Yes, I do. do I? Amen. Yeah. If Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, then live like it in every area of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, we would live like you are the Lord. And we are not the Lord. You are the Lord. And we submit ourselves to you. We thank you for the work you're doing in our life. Might we not just, might we not try to scrounge up some kind of form of the deepest level of peace and happiness with just something or someone other than you. We're not going to find peace for our soul until we come back to you. So Father, for those that are far away or have misplaced some priorities today, there's a realignment of affections going on in the room, and we thank you for that. Father, for those that are here and they've tried to find life in places they shouldn't have never found, tried to find life. Lord, there's a realignment and a recommitment here today, and we give you thanks for that. You're the life, you're the truth, and you're the only way. And so, Father, we submit our lives to you and ask for your presence and your power, your hope, your healing. And, Father, where there are those that do not know if they have eternal life today, it might be the day where they would pray a prayer simply like this. Father, I come. I acknowledge my sins. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, to forgive me of all my sins. I want a new start. I confess you with my mouth and I believe in my heart and thank you that I am saved. Father, do your work in and through this church. Bless, encourage, exhort through your Holy Spirit and through friendships in this church to do what's right, to live for you, to bring hope and encouragement where there's despair or question. And Lord, we thank you for the work you're going to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.